This morning we have the gift of having our brother, our friend, Pastor Sam with us today. Pastor Sam's the lead pastor of our congregation, Bethel Christian Fellowship Minneapolis, which meets on Sunday evenings. And every once in a while we have the gift of having him here with us. So we're really grateful to have that opportunity today to have him here to bring us the word of the Lord. So I want to invite you to join me in welcoming Pastor Sam. not a cell phone commercial. All right. Check, check. Oh, man. What a good day. God is doing some really neat stuff. God's been speaking all the way through, and I believe he's going to keep speaking. We've been in a series. I I, I misspeak. You've been in a series. We've been doing something else in Minneapolis. We've been doing uh, outreach-focused worship in the park, kind of worshiping together outside as a way of um, going out, but you've been doing a series here following through Matthew, following uh, different portions of scripture that give us an idea of uh, what what it means to follow Jesus, and uh, I was looking back over the things that you've been studying and what it means to follow Jesus in different situations, many different situations, and as our our lives are so, so different, We're all facing different things right now. And yet, the call to follow Jesus is the same for all of us. And so in going through these scriptures, we get an idea, a better idea of what it means to follow Jesus because it applies to all these different situations, all these different circumstances. So I don't know about you, but I've faced situations in my life that have seemed impossible. Maybe today you're facing a situation that seems impossible. Maybe you've been told that this is the way things are. Things will never change. Or maybe you've believed that the situation you're facing or the thing that you're struggling with in your life right now will never change. This is the way it's always going to be. It's impossible for it to change. Like students who were in a college English class, and they were told by their teacher that a double negative is always a positive, but a double positive is never a negative. And a very smart student in the back spoke up and said, yeah, right. (laughs) Maybe you've been in a situation that seems hopeless. I remember one time I was driving a beat truck. That was a bad idea. And uh, here's a picture of a beat truck, uh, like the one I was driving. And there it is. And I thought that was a a good career move at the time just out of college, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. And my first day, I was driving at 5 in the morning. It's pitch black, pouring rain. I don't know where I am. I'm in the country somewhere. Can't read the signs. And I got lost my first day doing my first route. I wasn't really given the, the, the teaching route, like let me take you to where we're going. It's just like that way because everybody knows. Uh, So I followed a truck. Turns out the truck was going somewhere else. 
And uh, I got lost, hopelessly lost. And uh, to make matters worse, I decided it's a good idea to turn this thing around. So I went into turning it around, but it had been pouring all night long. So as the back tires got on the edge of the gravel of the road, they started sinking. And as I gave it more gas, feeling that it was sinking, it started sinking faster. And suddenly, before I knew it, I was stuck, pointing up into the sky. But being the good drummer that I am, I did not miss a beat. And uh, it's going to have lots of painful ones like that coming all morning long. No, but seriously, no beats fell out of the truck, which was, was a great relief because that truck was worth thousands of dollars what was in there. So that made me really nervous, and I felt really hopeless. And uh, I believed that that was the end of my job. I was right. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, uh, I thought the truck was ruined too. And it was hopeless, but a tow truck and a... Um, large piece of highway grading equipment had to be linked together, pulled it out, $50 worth of damage on the truck. Beautiful. It was like a strap was broken. Hallelujah. It was great. But it felt hopeless at the time, and I felt very stuck. And I don't know about you. Maybe you feel like you're in a hopeless place. Like the situations around you, what people have told you, or the things that you've been facing, like you're stuck. It's always going to be this way. I've struggled with my breathing my whole life. I didn't realize that it, was, that it had something to do with something else I was doing my whole life. Every morning I would wake up and have cereal for breakfast and I'd pour milk on my cereal. So my whole life I've struggled with my breathing. Uh, so much so that when I, when I went in to get my breathing tested as an adult, the person said, you have the lungs of a 70-year-old smoker. I'm like, I don't smoke and I'm not 70. I stopped drinking milk at the suggestion of somebody kind of on a whim, like, well, why don't you just drop milk? Maybe that'll help. I stopped drinking milk, and it helped tremendously. Who knew? But my whole life, I'd been doing something to myself that caused me to think that it's always going to be this way. So I don't know where you're at, what you've been facing. Maybe you've been struggling with addiction your whole life. Maybe you've been struggling with hopelessness or despair or anxiety. And you've thought, this is the way it's going to be my whole life. Well, I want to tell you that Jesus is powerful. We're going to look at a story today that demonstrates just how powerful he is. But maybe in facing your difficult situations or the things in front of you that seem impossible, you've said, yeah, right, when pigs fly. Maybe that's crossed your mind. Maybe you didn't say that. Maybe you said something more along the lines of, let me see if I totally butcher this. Le semaine de quatre judis. Judis. The week with four Thursdays? Yeah, no way. This is not going to happen. Jesus faced circumstances that seemed impossible. In fact, right before the story that we're picking up, he had spoken to a storm, which was just unheard of, and the storm was still. He had healed the sick. He had cleansed the lepers. He had demonstrated that he had power over death in healing those who were dying, power over diseases, power over disasters. And now he comes, and the boat that they were in, that we, were, we heard about last week, the boat arrives. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 28. Uh, sorry, Matthew 8, 28. 
And once you have that, if you would stand with me, and if you don't have a Bible with you, I think there's some in front of you, but either way, go ahead and stand anyway. Like, they made me stretch earlier. You know, go ahead and you can stretch. Matthew 8.28. And really, all joking aside, we stand out of a reverence for God's word and positioning ourselves in a a slightly different posture as we come to him. Kind of um, gives us a sense that this is, we're about to hear from God here. So Jesus and his disciples are arriving after their, their moment in the storm. In verse 28, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and make yourself known in this place. Open our ears to hear our hearts, to understand, to know what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So here we see Jesus having just calmed the storm. And when Mark tells the story, we see, that we, we see the story in Mark and Luke as well, and they tell it a little bit different, and I think it's because of what they're trying to get across in the story that they're telling. But when Mark tells the story, it's like, boom, they arrived. So the storm was calmed, and boom, they're there. And you've got to, the, like, the disciples are still probably in shock from, just happen, from what just happened. And in Mark and Luke, there's, a, there's an emphasis on one of, the, of these men who come rushing at Jesus. And that's probably because that man was known to the people who were reading Mark, what Mark and Luke were writing about. Here in Matthew, he talks about two, and he tells, tells a story with a, a slightly different emphasis, but that these two men rush at Jesus and the disciples. So putting all of the facts that we know from this story together, these were two naked men who were so strong that they had tried putting chains on them and they would break the chains. They had tried putting guards on them, and the guards couldn't contain them. No one could contain them. Now, the disciples were just terrified by the storm. Jesus calms the storm, and boom, they arrive. They step out, and two crazy men come rushing at them. And the word that it uses there for, for when they come to meet them is, the, is like a military confrontation. They rush at them. I don't know if you've ever had somebody rush at you, but it's a little unnerving. But they rush out to Jesus like a military confrontation, and it was a military confrontation. It was the kingdom of God against the kingdom of hell. And what happens next is that these men fall down before Jesus, which was what you would do. And they they don't just kind of bow or kneel. They fall prostrate like you would do for a king at that time. They recognize his kingship, and they call out in a loud voice, knowing that he already had all power and all authority. Have you come to torment us before our time? You know, it's, it's, it's not time yet. We still had, like, like kids when they're playing. We still have five more minutes. 
No, they knew what their end was. They know where they're going. Have you come to torment us? At least put us into those pigs. And uh, in, 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 in Mark and Luke, we see there's a conversation that happens where Jesus even asks this, this man, one of them, what's your name? And the answer is legion, for we are many. And I, I'm, you know, at least maybe it's all the movies I've watched in my life that, that makes me, I, I feel like they would say, and actually probably some of my encounters with people dealing with this, but it probably sounds legion. You know, it was probably pretty freaky because it stayed marked in the disciples' memories. Like, this was pretty significant. If you had two naked guys run at you that, according to this, were living in the cemetery, all right, among the tombs, and who cut themselves. So they're probably bloody or festering and stinky, unkempt, and they rush at these guys. So it's pretty marked in their memory. And this is what happens. The Jesus who stood up in the boat and spoke speaks one word. Go. And the demons leave. And they go into the pigs. And uh, here it says that they went down a steep embankment. It was more like a cliff, proving that even that Jesus can make pigs fly. (laughs) And the pigs went flying, you know, running off the cliff. Imagine lemmings, you know, running, and they're just like, ah! Over the edge. The, the men who were watching these pigs are terrified. They've never seen anything like this. They're very aware of who these two men are. And, and here this man gets, a random man gets out of a boat, speaks to these two men. They're suddenly calmed, and their pigs go crazy, and their pigs go flying off a cliff. They run back into town terrified. They tell everything that happened, primarily that we just lost the pigs. And might, like me with the beat truck, they probably thought their job was over. And they were probably right. It's not that hard to keep the pigs alive. They're all dead. Okay, so, and by the way, they mention, and these two guys, they're better. The whole town comes out to meet them. They're terrified. And they say, whatever you've got, we don't want it. Please go away. And in Mark and Luke, we see that one of these men comes to Jesus and says, begs to be able to go with him. And Jesus sends him back into his towns, the Decapolis, the ten cities, ten Gentile cities, to tell the good news of what God has done. It was Jesus who spoke the word that brought the freedom, but Jesus says, speak what God has done for you. He's very clearly making a connection there, and that's probably why Mark and Luke focus in on that one person, the one who went back to Jesus. Because he laid the foundation in those Gentile cities for the gospel that would come, and Mark and Luke were written to Gentile readers. Jesus was more about killing bacon. He he had more in mind than killing bacon. We like bacon, don't we? I like bacon. Tastes good. But you're like, no, bacon. Wasted bacon. Uh, he had more in mind. He was, he was making a statement that he was cleansing this land of uncleanness. He was coming to bring freedom not just to these two people, but to the whole land. He was driving the pigs out of the land. 
That doesn't mean you shouldn't eat bacon anymore. I'll let you decide that. You and your doctor can talk about that one. One of the reasons why these people were very upset was because they were more concerned about property and profit than about people. They had lived with these two men all this time. They had bound them because they were probably destructive. They had tried to hurt people. They had tried to hurt, probably, who knows, maybe they attacked the pigs and ate them. Who knows? But these two guys are set free, and they lost money. And they're very upset, but about the money that they lost, they're not so happy about, like, who cares about these two guys? I lost money. They were amazed and terrified by the power of Jesus, and it didn't fit in their worldview that something like this could happen. This was impossible. If you're like this, this is the way you're going to be the rest of your life. There's nothing we can do about it. Tie them up. But they preferred the stability of their world as they knew it than to have it disrupted by the power of this person. So they said, go, please leave our area. Please leave us. So maybe today you're like, one of, you're like the people in the boat with Jesus. Maybe you're aware that Jesus is, is Messiah, but haven't really realized the implications personally of who he really is. They, they knew Jesus, they'd been with him, they had relationship with him, but they didn't recognize, this is God we're talking about. So they were with Jesus, but they didn't realize who he really was. They hadn't realized the implications of what that should do to shift everything. Their entire worldview had to be different. But yet they said, I want to keep my worldview, and I want to add Jesus to it. How do you view the world? I think all of us would say, well, I have a Christian worldview. Do you? Do I? Here's a simple test for you. I'll first explain two major worldviews. One is a Western worldview. It's very naturalist, very physical. If I can see it, if I can touch it, it's real. And more way Eastern worldview is that there's this mystical, spiritual reality that is more real than the physical. And then there's all these variations in between. And we can, we can sometimes here, especially in the Western world, we can stick with our Western view that it's all physical, plus Jesus. It's all physical, plus Jesus. And I think that a, a biblical worldview acknowledges that this world that we live in is physical, and it is spiritual. It's both. And Jesus is Lord of all. This is a physical and a spiritual world, and Jesus is Lord of all. Now, a question for you to determine where are you at. Do you have a biblical worldview or not? Or is it, or is it purely Western and physical? Or purely Eastern and mystical? What do you do when you get sick? Do you call the witch doctor? Okay, probably not. Do you start going over all of your sins? And what have I done to bring this upon me? Or do you call the doctor? Do you go to the medicine cabinet? Is that your first stop? So if your first stop is to go to the medicine cabinet and go, oh, I have an upset stomach, my first stop is Pepto-Bismol, you have a more Western worldview than you think. You have a more naturalist worldview than you think, almost like practical atheism. But anyway, if your first reaction is, my stomach is upset, who cursed me? You might have a very Eastern worldview. But a biblical integrated worldview would be, 
my stomach is upset. Jesus is Lord of my body and of my spirit and of my soul. So I'm going to pray first. Simple phrase, pray first. So if you're sick, pray first. But don't stop there. Actually, I would say pray one or two or three times. Don't just go, well, I prayed. Now I'm taking Pepto-Bismol. Um, pray first. But don't stop and go, well, medicine is evil. God created the minds of the people who created medicine. God created plants, and we use those plants for medicine. God's not going like, well, one or the other, you got to pick. So an integrated worldview doesn't just go to one or the other. I, I say that that's really important. So understanding this, we should stop gravitating towards medical answers only or towards spiritual answers or spiritualized answers only or psychological answers only, but that there's an integrated thing that we're both physical and spiritual. So maybe today you find yourselves in the graveyard and in a place of hopelessness, bondage, isolation, you feel stuck. Whether it's physical or spiritual, God wants you to be free. Now, here's some truth about how the enemy works that I want to put out there just to make sure that we have that integrated biblical worldview and not it's all physical and not it's all spiritualized. But one, demons were active when Christ was on the earth and they're still active today. Think about it. One quarter of the miracles recorded in Mark were actually deliverances. There are several times that it says that this person was sick with this illness, and Jesus cast out a demon. And so some people might look at that and go, well, that's just like, they didn't understand that to be what we know that it is today, so that's why it uses those words. Well, that kind of undermines the credibility of Scripture. Like, when is it what actually happened? Like, when is it this place in between where it's physical and it is spiritual? But sometimes we want to have this a very Western, physical, naturalist worldview, but plus Jesus. I'll go on. I may say some things that are hard. Don't judge me till you reach the end. Second Corinthians 10 says the weapons of our warfare are not physical. It says that because we are in a spiritual battle. There are thoughts and arguments and opinions in our minds even that are contrary to the will of God. This is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, so put on the full armor of God. It's not just the thing that we're supposed to do with little kids so that they like have different parts of the Bible memorized. No, this is a real thing, a real battle. So when we, there are some problems that are clearly physical, like a broken leg. Some problems are clearly spiritual, like unforgiveness and bitterness. Some problems are both, physical and spiritual, not one or the other. With a very Western worldview, a naturalist worldview, we call those psychological problems. It has to do with the psyche, which is actually is the word that we get. We get the word psyche or psychology from the same word for soul. Matters of the soul, they're kind of in that in-between. The, the, the soul, the mind, the emotions, the will, those are things 
that can probably be a little bit of each. Some physical, like there are some problems that are clearly physical. You hit your head really hard and you suffered brain damage, there's a brain problem. Some are clearly emotional. Somebody hurt you and you chose not to forgive them and you brought this bitterness into your life and it's infected you. I would say that bitterness is one of the biggest things that keeps Christians in bondage. Imagine, though, if uh, Pastor Jim had broken his leg. Thankfully, he didn't, and it was a sprain. But imagine he broke his leg, and he keeps walking on it. And uh, somebody asks him, what are you doing? Because they see him wincing and limping. He's like, oh, it's okay. I have broken leg syndrome. You'd go, you're insane. There's surgeries for that. Well, no, I prayed for it. I cast the demon out of my leg. No, there's a... Like, there's an x-ray, shows that the bone's out of alignment. Let's put it in alignment. Let's maybe put a rod in there and put you in a cast and have healing. Sometimes uh, we have taken, even in Christian culture, we've taken um, psychological categories, which are collections of symptoms. Just because I have a name for it doesn't mean I understand it. We take collections of symptoms and have used them as as our label. I have broken leg syndrome. And in doing so, we've st- and, and we've accepted it instead of recognizing there is a problem. There's this collection of symptoms. But I believe in a God who is bigger than those symptoms. Whether it be a physical problem, a spiritual problem, or a soul problem, I believe in a God that is bigger than those symptoms. Can I share something with you in confidence? Um, like, seriously, I, don't, I, I wasn't going to say this. So as you know, some of our kids have faced some difficulties because of what they went through before we adopted them. And raising them for the first couple of years was really hard. And with one of them, uh, they all, you know, everybody comes with stuff. I mean, you go through that kind of stuff, you're going to come out with stuff. But one of them had, been, had received a diagnosis, a set of symptoms, a collection of symptoms. So therefore, we have this label that we didn't tell them what it was. We didn't talk to them about it. But the doctors had said, this is, the psychologist had said, this is the label. This is the collection of symptoms. But we prayed, and we worked with them, and we brought them to cleansing streams. Um, to um, life streams and we prayed cleansing streams type prayers over them and we worked with them and we went back to the psychologist and they said this child does not have any of the symptoms that they used to have and they said we don't take diagnosis off this doesn't happen but they removed the diagnosis because they're like he has none of those symptoms because we believe in a God that's bigger and we're not going to take a label and go, that's my identity. No, my identity is a child of God. Jesus is at work to transform our nature, not our behavior. So those men who came rushing at Jesus, their, their nature was transformed. He changed who they were when he set them free, and when they believed in him, they were a different person. 
So I share that in confidence. Just Anyway. The word that's translated here, demon-possessed, and this leads to a lot of confusion in the church, does not mean demon-possessed. It's, it's, it's a word that could better be translated demonized, under the influence of a demon. The word possession for us in English implies ownership. So when we think of the, the work of the devil, we think he takes ownership of somebody and then they start moving like his puppet. No, it's influence. Demonize is to be under the influence of a demon. Jack Hayford was once asked, can a Christian have a demon? And he said, well, if he wants one. Can you be influenced by a demon? I don't know. Can, you influ can I influence you with my words? Then, yeah, you can be influenced by a demon. Otherwise, Paul would not have told us to take up a shield of faith because they're shooting darts, and those darts are lies. And when Satan speaks, he speaks lies. Jesus said that when he lies, he speaks his native language. That's how he exerts influence. That's how demons exert influence in our lives is with lies, deception. So if you don't believe me that words are powerful, just try going to the airport and saying the word bomb. And you will see that words are powerful. People will tackle you in a split second. You'll be down. And you're like, I was on the phone. I said, it's the bomb. No. <laughs> don't try it. Don't try that. But words are powerful. When we speak, I can make people do stuff by what I say. Just like if you went to the airport and you said that, you made people do something. They chose to act. But you spoke a lie and they tackled you and you went to jail. All because of the lie. Don't do that. One of the lies that we believe is that sin, because we think of demon possession, that Satan is only at work in really big, horrible, ugly sins. And sometimes we believe that Satan is at work in demonizing people in other countries, but not in this country. Well, his primary strategy is deception. His favorite lie is, I'm not here. These are not the demons you're looking for. You know, that's kind of what he's up to. <laughs> oh, you're right. These aren't the demons I'm looking for. It's something else. So then we totally rule out the demonic, and we go with it's physical or it's emotional. And we rule out the fact that Satan is actively at work to bring death and destruction to your life. You signed up to follow Jesus. You didn't realize you, you were signing up for the enemy to go like, hey, look, my new favorite target. But it doesn't stop there. Okay. Demonic influence can be present in both small and big sins. Satan's only weapon is his ability to deceive, but we get freedom with truth, a truth encounter. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But then he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's talking about himself, not a philosophical concept. Truth exists, and truth is a person, Jesus. So what we, we encounter freedom when we encounter Jesus. We encounter freedom when we encounter the truth in Jesus. If you are in the graveyard, and you feel like you've been dealing with addiction, you feel like you've been dealing with... Uh, all sorts of things that are clouding and hanging you down. Maybe it's fear and anxiety. Maybe it's rage and anger. Maybe it's control and manipulation. Maybe it's rebellion. The weapons of our warfare are not of this world. 
It's not against flesh and blood alone that we are doing battle. Yes, if there's a physical problem, let's seek healing for the physical problem. If there's an emotional problem, let's follow what Jesus says about dealing with that emotional problem. But if there's a spiritual problem, let's call it what it is and deal with the spiritual problem. Or else, they're going there the whole time, I'm not here. And we're going like, hey, we're in a church. It must be the Holy Spirit. No. Some people are going like, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, and it doesn't line up with Scripture at all. And they're, in fact, listening to lying and deceiving spirits. Otherwise, the New Testament writers wouldn't have told us to beware of people who are teaching doctrines of demons. Because they actually do this. This happens. Okay, I go on. Satan's deception for us personally comes in two forms. Temptation and accusation. Temptations that says, God's plan isn't good enough. Why don't you try this? There's nothing wrong with it. God wants you to be happy. And then right after you do it, comes the accusation. Well, what kind of Christian are you? See what you did? You'll never get away with it. If, only, if, if they found out what you do, if they found out who you really are, and drives you away into isolation, just like these men in the, in the graveyard. So... When we think of the demonic, there are two equal and opposite errors regarding demons. One is not believing that they exist or that they can influence you. The other is too much focus on them. Focusing on them like, oh, the sound system doesn't work. It's probably a demon. Or it's not plugged in. I don't know. Who knows? But I have been in places where the sound system was going crazy. And somebody sensed this is, this is not a natural problem. And they stood up and they said, in the name of Jesus. And the sound system came back on. So sometimes it is a spiritual problem and sometimes it is a physical problem. We need discernment to be able to know the difference. The truth is that it is probable you will be influenced. Go ahead to the next couple slides. It is probable you will be influenced. It is possible that you could be controlled, not owned, right? But you could never be owned because you were bought with the blood of Jesus. And you can be under as much control of the enemy as you want to be. The truth is, he came to set you free. He came for you to have freedom. And freedom indeed. Jesus wants you to be free. And he speaks the truth. He speaks freedom. He did not come to these two guys that came rushing at him and start yelling back at them because they're yelling at me. I don't know how many of you have been around for deliverance, but sometimes we try to outshout the devil. That's not authority. He didn't take the Torah, which he probably wouldn't have had with him in the boat anyway. He didn't take the Torah and smack them on the head. He spoke the word. And that word was founded on the authority that he knew he had. He had power and he had authority. Satan is a powerful ruler, but he's not our ruler. So no matter what you're facing today, God is more powerful. Whether it's unforgiveness, addiction, fear, anxiety, pride, rebellion, anger, God is more powerful. Satan is not strong enough to keep you in bondage. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he gave them power and authority. Power is the ability to rule. Authority is the right or the authorization to rule based on legal position. He gave you both. When he sent out the 12 disciples, he did that. But then when he sends them out in, in, in Matthew 28, he says, all power, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. 
And then in, in Mark, he talks about the power to do these things. You have both. You have power and authority. But if we don't know it, we won't walk in it. We don't have to take authority. We have to walk in the authority we have. You already have it. So you could be bound up already. You followed Jesus, but over the course of years, you've picked up some chains along the way. And you're walking with Jesus, and you're bound up, and you're believing this is just the way it's going to be until Jesus comes back. And God wants to speak freedom to you today. He has the power to break the chains. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come back up. Believe it and walk in it. Maybe today, you're the third, the third person, you're in the region. You're like the people who were in the region who owned the pigs. And you feel like this doesn't directly affect me. This is somebody else's problem. But the realization of this Jesus and his power and that that means that that has to change my entire worldview kind of shakes things up. And I would rather have my power, my position, or my property than have Jesus mess with that. So I'm going to stay like the people in the region and say, hey, Jesus, it was nice knowing you. Come back and visit next time. You're Actually, don't come back. Just stay away. But I do know him, but I don't follow him. Because if we follow him, it forces us to change our entire worldview. I want to leave you with these scriptures that tell you about this Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 2 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. You have been given power and authority. You have been filled with the fullness of Christ. It's there for you. But if you can be convinced of a lie that you cannot walk in the freedom that God has for you, you will continue to walk in bondage. So today I want to invite you to walk in the authority that Jesus has given you. I want to invite you to be set free. What are you bound in? What do you feel stuck in? Believe the truth and reject the lie. Or maybe today you find yourself distracted by pigs, by the property and the things of this world. I want to invite you to focus on Christ and leave those things behind. Now, as the worship team plays this next song, I want to encourage you to come. Um, Pastor Jim will close with a benediction in a minute. But if you need freedom, in your life, you're like, I am the person in the graveyard. I want you to come, and we want to pray. There's this area of my life 
that I feel dead, I feel isolated, I feel separated. It's been bondage for this long time. Come and we want to pray with you. If today you're like the people in the boat, and you're like, I don't really know Jesus. I know about him, but I've never acknowledged that he is God and surrendered my life to follow him. I want to invite you to come. And if today you're in the region and you're going like, I, I recognize I've been distracted by other things and I don't have a worldview of the kingdom, but I want to really say, God, I'm all in for what you have and I don't care if I lose all of my pigs in the process. I want what you have. Wherever you're at on that continuum, I want to invite you to come and we'll pray with you and we'll have the prayer team up here um, praying with you as they play this song. Right now, I just want you to hold in your mind for just a moment, whatever the chain has been or is, that you feel is unbreakable. And let's just bring it to the feet of Jesus right now. And let there be freedom. Now. As Jesus says, no more. It is finished. Go. 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 Freedom is, is ours to walk in. Jesus has made it available for us. But walking in freedom is... It's not just a one-time prayer that I pray, but it's a process of learning to walk in the fullness of freedom, especially if we have kind of ruts in our mind and in our way of thinking, and we'll fall back into those ruts. I want to encourage you if you're like, if there's something that you're facing and, and you're like, I need more, I want to pray more about this, talk to one of the, the pastors and we'll help get you connected to someone who can pray with you and walk with you through that. If you like, man, I've, I've experienced freedom in different moments in my life, but I need help in walking in freedom. We do a class called A Life of Freedom that teaches how to walk in freedom. And if you're like, well, I can't wait for that class, talk to us, and we'll get you some stuff to get you started and start walking with you towards that. Uh, but I want to encourage you, don't leave it at just like, well, that was different. But to w fully walk in freedom, he has freedom for you. Let's just open our hands. I pray now that you may be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit to be with to be yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our return, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. I bless you, people of God. I bless you, Hershey's, as you travel and go now. Bless you, Jean, as you will be taking your fingers off the keyboard in a little while. 
Bless you, Dave and Linda, celebrating 50 years. Bless you, Annika, as you go on your DTS. And bless you, each and every one of you people that go. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.